Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is the message given on Sunday morning, October 22nd, 2023 by Tom Job from Romans chapter 16. Good morning, everyone. So I wanted to read to you out of, this is from Romans chapter 16. We're just spending a, a, a few weeks in just one of the most interesting places in the entire New Testament. Romans 16 is a place at the end of a letter where he's saying hello to, it's really saying hello to people that he knew there and that Paul, that Paul who wrote this knew in this city of Rome. It's people that he's giving them like, um, all of these people are like, he's, saying, he's calling them out and saying these are people that have been transformed by the message that you're about to read. So um, there's 28 of them. There's no place like it in the New Testament. So in verse 1 it says, um, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Sincrea, and I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor to many people including me. Lord God, help us to understand this and help us to understand, oh, lots of things to appreciate her and to understand what she went through and that we would have the courage to do the same. Help me not to make a mess of this. And um, I'm trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I would think like if you had... If you had a message that you wanted to communicate to people and you had to send it, I would think that the dumbest way to do it would be to put it like in a bottle. You know how people like get messages and they put them in a bottle and they throw it in the ocean. I mean, you don't really care if anybody ever gets that or you don't care who gets it. There was a couple in um, the Netherlands who found in 2013, it was a letter that had been written in 1990 by a British school girl, and she put it in a bottle and threw it in the North Sea. Dear Finder, my name is Zoe Lemon. Please, would you write to me? I would like that a lot. I'm 10 years old, I like ballet, I play the flute and the piano, I have a hamster named Sparkle and a fish named Speckle. And they found it 23 years later, and they answered her back, and I don't know what they said, but probably, we're sorry about the passing of Sparkle and Speckle, I mean, I'm pretty much sure. <laughs> This one, this one couple were on, they were on a cruise in Indonesia and they wrote in a bottle in 2009, March of, uh, Australian couple, and all it said is, um, uh, we're sitting on our balcony wondering, is it better to love or to be loved? Your answer would be appreciated. And they put a phone number. And they got a message on there a few years later from Mozambique and all from somebody in South Africa, and it said, it is better to be loved, but to be loved, you have to love. I know, it's a pretty good answer. I mean, had to wait a while, but. So there was a time when the, govern, when the government of France was doing a census, and there was a guy who lived at the at three Rue St. Charles in Ajosia, Corsica. And that had been, and this was on December 2nd, 2013, that had been the address of Napoleon Bonaparte. And the letter was addressed to Napoleon Bonaparte at that address. And the guy answered back and said, 
I'm sorry, but he died in 1821. Please forward this to St. Peter. So, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't, but so, but anyway, so like when Paul had a, a letter, so like if he had, if he was writing a letter to a community of Christians, he would, he would, he would pick somebody and that person would be the person who would carry the letter to that community of people. So like the book of Philippians was, it was taken by a guy named, Paph well, Epaphroditus had sent, had sent, um, carried some money from the people at Philippi. This was later when Paul was in Roman prison and they had, he had, they had sent some money to him. And then he wrote the letter to the Philippians and gave it to Epaphroditus and was sending him back to Philippi with this letter. And it said, y'all really need to appreciate him because he came close to dying for Jesus and doing this thing that y'all sent him to do when he was so, he was so sick. I remember one time, like, could you imagine? Well, anyway, to travel, like in the Roman Empire, and they had all their Roman roads and all that stuff. But still, I mean, those Roman roads, they're, they're like stones, like they made a, a cabillion miles of roads connected the whole them of stones. Do you ever try to walk on those things? I mean, like they're terrible if it's wet and you slip. I mean, they're super slippy. When we, I used to ride on those in Italy. I had a moped back then and it's just like boom, 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 it's terrible. It would have been better if they just left it dirt, like just leave it dirt and put a sign, this is the Roman road, just stay on it, you're good, you know. But it was like, but you know, to make it out of stones, but then there were, you know, they were it was super dangerous and there were bandits and bears and wild beasts and bedbugs and stuff and then and but Epaphroditus had gotten sick could so I don't know if you could imagine like walking hundreds of miles and you're sick and what would you do one one year we did a um it was a um so the Young Life team of Madrid was hosting a hostel for one week in the summer that was along what they call the Community Santiago, which is a 500-mile pilgrimage that th hundreds of thousands of people do every year that goes from Lyon, France, all the way to, to Santiago de Compostela in northeast Spain, and I mean northwest Spain, right almost to the, to the Mediterranean. And people do it, and they stay in little hostels, and they walk 200 miles or 100 miles, 500 miles. And, I, and we would host like 20 people a night and make a big dinner and talk about Jesus all night. Like, it's not really a thing, Christian thing, but a lot of people, it kind of becomes that. So we talk to people all night about Jesus. But I remember one morning, about 6.30, and everybody gets up early, and they get on their way. And there was a girl, a young woman, and she had her backpack on and was ready to go. And she had went into the bathroom, and she left the door open, and she just put her hand on the mirror and her hand on her forehead and just puked into the sink. And then she turned the spigot on, came out, drank her coffee, and left. And I thought, this is going to be like a terrible day. You know what I mean? But to do that, to be the person who takes a letter like hundreds of miles and you're the person that's going to deliver it and it's long and it's going to be tough and lonely and lots of times it's dangerous and you might have to get on a ship. Paul, there's 12 times in the New Testament that Paul got on a ship and four of those times he landed. He, so four of those times it was a shipwreck. So 33% of the time that he got on a ship, he landed in the water before he landed on the land, you know, and I would like never get on one again. But anyway, so, he, so now he has the letter. So this is the letter of all letters. This is his letter to the Romans where he tells his, the message of all messages, the message that everyone needs to hear that we're, you know, that Jesus came to pay for us and he rose from the dead 
And he offers to whoever wants it. You can be forgiven of everything you've ever done. And it's a complete and total gift. And it's all super free. And everybody needs to understand it. There was a there was a guy in, um, golly, it was in 1517, he was an Augustinian monk in Germany, in what, was, what they used to call East Germany, but, um, and he was trying to, he was gonna torture himself to death, starving himself to death to try to pay for his sins, because he thought you had to pay for them, and they believed that when you died, you would go to this place, it wasn't really hell, but almost, and you had to stay there for 97,000 years and pay for all your sins until you finally get to go to heaven, and so he was trying to, you know, he was sleeping with no clothes on and zero degrees and all that stuff, trying to pay for his stuff, and he had a spiritual coach who said, stop, stop, this is, stop, this is too much, you, you need to read the letter to the Romans. By that time, he had become a professor of the New Testament at Wittenberg University in Germany, and he read it. He read it in Greek, and he was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I've never, this is a complete and total gift. Why didn't anybody tell me that? You don't have to do all this. I don't have to torture myself. It's, it's, like, it's like a gift, and at that time, there was a guy, they were, they were selling, they, you could give money to help kind of take your sentence down in that kind of hell that they won't believe that you went to, or, or you could pay for your grandparents and your great-grandparents, they're already down there and they're having a terrible time. So, and that's how they raised money for all those big cathedrals that they built. So, and then, so he said, no, no, he wrote a thing and said, no, 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 this, no, this is not true. Read the book of Romans, they'll tell you that um, it's a gift. I remember one time we were, when one of the weeks that, one of the summers that we went to the Camino de Santiago and we were helping, you know, we were making a big dinner and stuff and Amy Morgan went with me and Austin Morgan, and we were with the Young Life team, and there was a guy there with his family, with his wife and kids, and he was a big professor of Spanish literature at a big university in Spain. He was a Spanish guy. And a lot of people do the Camino as just kind of a way of getting away from technology and stuff and kind of having a restart and all. But for some people, it is a spiritual thing, and for some people, it is a little bit of that. I'm gonna do something really difficult and try to pay my way a little bit and try to, you know, get cut my pay for my sins a bunch and and that guy was kind of doing it that way and so uh, we had a big dinner and then we were sitting around talking and I was talking to him and I said so he said so what's the difference between like these kind of Christians or those kind of Christians or the kinds that you are and I said have you ever read the letter to the Romans and he said no I never have and I said what you're a professor in a major university in Spain this is the document that has changed human history more than any other document in the history of the world and you've never read it and he's like no what does it say so I told him it's a gift it's a gift boss you don't have to do all this you don't have to do anything to earn it you just believe in Jesus who died and rose for you and then he gives you the gift of a complete forgiveness and you can know you're going to heaven when you die and Andrew said he said it would be so awesome if he would come down in the morning and say to his sad wife and these kids that were having a terrible time, guys, I get it. It's a gift. We're quitting this today and going to Disney World. And, but but, um, but so, so he has this document, the most important thing that's ever existed in the history of the world, this letter and a document and a place that it had to go. And he was going to pick somebody who would be capable of doing something very, very difficult and very, very dangerous. And he picked a, a, a person named Phoebe. And people think, well, that's kind of funny because like in our culture, Phoebe is the name of a girl or a woman, right? <laughs> um, he picked a woman to do something dangerous and extremely difficult. The greatest entrustment that he ever had, I think, in, in his life, in a way. So can we just talk for a minute about the women in Romans chapter 16? 
there are 28 people that Paul greets and commends for their life and their spiritual life. 11 of them are women. Of these 28 people, 10 of them receive kind of a, a special commendation, like this is the person who was like one of my greatest co-workers, or this is the person who really, really worked hard for the Lord. Of the 10 people who receive a special commendation, seven of them are women. There are four people who are recognized as people who worked extra, extra hard for the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says you ought to submit yourself to people like that. Of, of the four people that are commended as people who worked extra hard for the Lord, all of them are women. Um, so there's kind of there's kind of a discussion that has gone on for a few decades among people who love Jesus Christ, among biblical scholars who loved Jesus equally and worship him equally, and scholars who believe the Bible equally, and they believe that it's God's inspired word, and they love it and believe in it and live for it and live for him equally. And some of people, some of those scholars believe that the Bible says that men are women, that men are created to be leaders, that God made men to be, to be loving leaders, and that God created women to be faithful followers, and that this order was established at the creation of the world, at the creation of humanity, and it's a part of what it means to be a male human and a female human. And if you read the first chapters of Genesis, you'll see it. And there are other scholars who believe Jesus equally as much and who love the Bible equally as much who say, really? Does it really say that? Like when you read in Genesis chapter 1, and it says that in the beginning God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them that men and women are equally created in the image of God. In fact, it takes men and women to fully express the image of God. There's a, there's a place towards the end of the chapter where God tells the man and the woman that they, are, they have equal responsibility in subduing the earth. It doesn't say you grow everything and you cook everything and do the dishes. They both had that same responsibility. And there's a place in chapter two. So chapter two is kind of like upon further review and it goes over chapter one and kind of goes over it in a different way. And it says that the man, God created the man and it's, he said, it's not good that this guy be alone. I'm going to create for him a helper. And that's what people often say, scholars often say, is that woman is the helper. But when it says helper, it doesn't mean like Santa's helper. Or it doesn't mean like house elf, like Dobby the house, house elf. The word helper is a word that, that in the Old Testament always means somebody that does something for you that you can't do for yourself. It means the majority of the, it's, it's the word that's, it's the word etzer. It's the, word that, it's the word that's used in 1 Samuel chapter 7 when God delivered the Israelites from the Philistines and they set up a stone, a stone of help, an Eben, an Eben Etzer. It's where you get, it's where Ebenezer Scrooge gets his name, but it means a stone of help. 17 times, well, nine, 
almost all the time it's used, the helper, it's not like your servant, it's your rescuer. It's a word that means savior. 17 times it's used of, of God. So, I don't know what to do with all that, but there is one thing I've, I've felt for a long, long time. And that is in evangelical world, there's a lot of literature that talks about what it means to be a biblical man. And what does it mean to be a biblical woman? What does God intend men to be like? And what does God intend women to be like? And speaking as someone who cries more than his wife does and is super glad she knows how to fix everything and super glad she knows how to do our taxes, one thing that I do believe about literature, about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood in evangelical culture is there's very little Bible in it. There was a guy that wrote a book, he sold four million copies in 2005 and everybody loved it. And I asked him, I didn't know why they did. But he, one thing that he was talking about is how evangelicalism is making Christian men into sissies and how they are emasculating, the emasculization of American men. And he said, God created men to be warriors. He created men to be fighters. And, and in his seminars, he would say, what kind of man do you want to be? What kind of Christian man do you want to be? And he would show a picture of William Wallace with half his face painted blue and all that stuff. Don't you want to be this? guy or do you want to be this guy and he would show a picture of Fred Rogers Mr. Rogers and everybody would laugh at how ridiculous that was except for wasn't William Wallace the one that never mentions Jesus once wasn't he the one that burned down villages with people in it wasn't he the one having sex with the Queen of France in a tenth first day he met her and didn't Fred Rogers go to Pittsburgh Theological Seminary and he loved Jesus Christ, and he was kind. And five times in the New Testament, that's what it says to be a Christian man, is to be kind. And 12 times, and he was gentle. And 12 times we're told, this is what it means to be a Christian man, is to be gentle. That when Jesus, it's a word that means sweet, like wine that's sweet and not sour, medicine that's soothing and not harsh, winds that are warm and gentle and not harsh. Isn't that who we're supposed to be? And there was a woman who wrote a book about this in 2017, and she made a lot of money. And I thought, dang. <laughs> I wish I had written that book, but, that, but um, <laughs> there's a, it's a, a lot of this is complicated, but there was, there's one pastor, a prominent pastor, and he said, when I read the New Testament, you get the feeling that Christianity is a masculine religion. It's, there's something about Christian masculinity in the New Testament and in the faith we follow. And yet when Paul talks about the way he cared for the Galatians and cared for their spiritual maturity, he said, You're, you all, I feel like I'm pregnant. I mean, think about how weird that is. He said, I, when I think about y'all, I am pregnant and having a baby. And I am in labor. And when he talks to the Thessalonians, he said, I treated you, the way I treated you was like a nursing mother. And I'm like, really, dog? You, I mean, do you know about that? But he said, I feel like I am a nursing mother. And that's how 
I care about you. And he says to the Colossians, I ought to be able to be feeding you baby food by now, but I'm still having to nurse you. And I thought, wow. There's a place in um, the book of First Corinthians, chapter 16, a, a, a biblical scholar who has her PhD in New Testament Greek pointed this out, and I was kind of shocked by it. But at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul said, be courageous, act like men. And it's a word, there's a, there's a Greek word for man, the word anthropos, where we get anthropology. And this is another, which means men and women, it means just humans. And this is the word ender, it means men, man, man, like be a, mask, be, a, be a man. And some people think, well, that's a little bit sexist to say. Except she said, when you, when you realize that he was writing to men and to women. And he said, you need to act like a man. There are times, there were times among early Christians when everybody had their moment that they had to act like a man that they had to be brave. There were, um, there were times when men needed to care for people like a nursing mother. And there were times when women, sisters in Christ, needed to man up. There was a woman, I don't know if you all have ever seen, it was a show on TV called, called The Midwives. It was something they did on PBS. But it was, it was written, it was a series of books written by a woman who was a nurse, and uh, she was a midwife, and she was working with an order of nurses in East London, on the, of the poorest people of all of England, who lived in the Docklands and Poplar and, and, in East London. And this, there was a, one of the nuns was a woman named Monica Joan. And Monica, she was, oh, by that time she was old and 90, but she had been, Lord, uh, Lady Mary Granthorne, she had been one of those families, an aristocratic family, and she had given all of it up to serve Jesus Christ and to serve the poor. And this one woman asked her why she did it, and she said, why did you take a religious order? And she said, why do you ask me these eternal questions? It's the struggle. I wanted to get into the struggle. I wanted to get into the fight, the eternal fight of good against evil, of God and the devil, of right against wrong. I wanted to finish my life on the side of the angels. Read the Gospels, child. Four simple accounts of God made man. Stop asking me these questions. And the very last line of the very first book, Jennifer Worth said, that night I went to my room and I started to read the Gospels. But when I think about people who were brave, I think about people who were like Phoebe, people, men and women who were brave, and I always ask myself, could I have done this? Could I, I, could I be brave too? I think about 20-year-old Hudson Taylor in 1959 getting on a boat and leaving Hull to go to China for the rest of his life, and the only sound he heard as they pulled away was his mother wailing on the dock. And he said, for the first time in my life, I understood what it means that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But I think about Mary Bethune, the last child born in her family, the 
family, the first child born after the emancipations of slaves. And she wanted to be a missionary. And she got to go to Moody Bible Institute, the first African-American woman at Moody Bible Institute. She wanted to be a missionary in Africa. And no mission would take her because she was African-American to go to Africa. So she went to Tampa and started a school for poor black kids. And, they, and she would sing on street corners. And she would buy, bake pies to make money for her school. And one night, the Ku Klux Klan came on their campus to burn their school down. And she and those kids got on that porch and sang hymns till they sang the Ku Klux Klan off of their campus. And it's like, I want to be brave like that. I think about Corey Ten Boom getting involved in the Underground Railroad. To, um, to, to try knowing that they were going to have to hide Jewish people and save them from the Nazis and save them from the camps and keep them in their house until they could get them out. And I thought, would I do that? She went the first day. She knew that she was going to have, for the first time in her life, tell a lie. And she was going to have to do it bravely by the power of God. She went, to, there was a guy who was involved in that network who worked at the food coupon office. And they had their first person they were keeping. And she was going to need to ask for a food ration. And she went and said, I've come to talk about food rations. And he said, Fraulein, how many do you need? And she said, before I knew it, I meant to say one. I said 100. I think about Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was killed, he and four of his friends, on a secret mission to reach Stone Age people in the jungles for Jesus Christ. And the second contact they had with them, they were all speared to death. And Elizabeth Elliot, one of the widows, two years later, took their three-year-old daughter four days into the jungle to live among them and lead them to Jesus so that one of the men who speared one of those missionaries to death baptized that man's son on that same beach. There's a woman, one of my heroes of my life, was a woman named Josephine Butler, who was a Victorian aristocrat. and. Uh, her great uncle, her, her maiden name was Gray. Her great uncle was Prime Minister Charles Gray, who was Earl Gray of Earl Gray Tea. But her heart was broken at the death of a child, and she wanted to get involved in the sufferings of the suffering. She said, I wanted to find someone who was suffering as much as me and help them and tell them I have suffered too. And she started to get involved in, the, in, 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 a, in a massive national hypocrisy of treating prostitutes who were trapped in a cycle of prostitutes, offering their bodies because they were starving to English servicemen and English members of parliament and university professors and they and they and they passed a law where these women could be detained and arrested and brought into police offices and done horrible things to make sure that they didn't have venereal diseases to protect their military and to protect their their members of parliament from venereal disease and they were assaulted in horrible ways and she said this isn't right it isn't right and she had the courage to go to churches and talk about it and have rallies and she was threatened and they were hit with rocks and but um to talk about it and say this is not right she had the courage to say what they were doing in police stations in church to those women and i think could i have done that i can't do it now i can't tell you now what they were doing and she did there was a young girl who was 13 who was detained because they suspected her of being a prostitute, which she wasn't. And they took her to the police station. 
And they did, they did these horrible, and she tried to get away, and she jumped, she tried to get off the table, and she broke her back. And the mother wrote to Josephine Butler and said, I don't know what to do. And Josephine Butler went to her house, and she said, we've got to get this child out of London. They'll do it again. And she said, I have a friend. And she called a friend of hers and said, would you take this child as a maid and care for her? And she did. And the girl died a couple of years later of spinal tuberculosis. But that woman said, I'm done. I can't live this aristocratic life. And she left her family and left her inheritance. And she joined the Sisters of St. John in Exile at Nonitz's house and became Sister Monica Joan. And it's just like, I want to be brave. How do you, how do you be brave? I want to be somebody to follow Jesus Christ. You have to be brave. I want, would I have done what Phoebe did? I don't know. I want to be, I want to be a brave person. I want, you have to be brave to ask for help. You have to be brave to admit when you're wrong. You have to be brave to speak up for people. You have to be brave to stand up to people if Jesus is asking you to do it. And I think, how did Phoebe do it? So there's a place in, um, there's a place in, so I'm thinking, she has this letter. She has a letter to the Romans. If she got scared, she was the one when she delivered the letter to the Romans, to the community at Rome, she would read it and answer their questions and explain the difficult parts. The first person to ever explain the book of Romans was Phoebe. So at night, if she got scared on this trip, she would open it and read it, and she would get her courage back. She would read the part. It's where it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you. By the mercies of God, give yourself to him. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Give him your body. Give him your time. Give him your life. It's only reasonable. The Greek word is the word logicus. It's only logical. Give yourself to Jesus. All of yourself. Well, that's how you're brave. If you give your body to Jesus, your life to Jesus, your time to Jesus, your money to Jesus, you're never afraid anymore because you've given it all away. It's not yours. You're not afraid of losing anything. It doesn't belong to you. There was a woman, so Elizabeth Elliot, there was a woman, when she was eight, there was a woman uh, named Betty. She wound up marrying a guy named John Stam, and her name was Betty Stam, John and Betty Stam. And they went to be missionaries in China where they were killed by the communists in, golly, it must have been about 1948 or 49. But she used to visit their house, and Elizabeth Elliot was so impressed by her when she was eight, and she gave her a poem that she kept in her Bible, and Elizabeth Elliot kept, kept it in her Bible, and it said, um, it's a poem that said, Lord, I give up all my plans and purposes, all my desires and hopes, and I accept your will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee, to be thine forever. Feel me and seal me with the Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt. Work out thou, thy whole will for my life at any cost now and forever. And if a person lives that way, they're not afraid because they've given their life to Jesus. But why do you do it? And it's just like, well, in chapter 3, it says that we, you know, the message that Paul was telling them was this. We're a mess. We're all a mess. We've made a gigantic mess. We've all made a gigantic mess. And we're all super sinful, and we can't do anything about it, and we're hopelessly polluted. And, you know, I think about myself. When I think about the sin in my life, and I think back on the life of sin that I had, 
a lot of it was related to fear. The sin that I'm most ashamed of are when I didn't speak up for someone or I didn't stand up to someone. And um, there were places I used to, people who are addicted to things, one thing about addictions is they're always a place where you run away. And I used to kind of, I have that personality and sometimes I would run away because I was afraid at times that I shouldn't. But in chapter three it says, but Jesus came to pay for all that. I'm ashamed of the times that I was so afraid, but he took all my shame. He wasn't afraid at all. Sing out with joy to the brave little boy who is God and made himself nothing, who came here to die like a man. And I love him. You know, I, I lo I'm thankful for him because I have been such a mess and he has paid for all of it, and I love him. And it's only logical that I give my life to him and let him have all of it. And if I do that day by day, I'm not gonna be afraid that day. Um, but if you do do that, you are going to get in places where it's gonna be scary. Like if you give your life to Jesus, whatever you have for me today, whatever you have for me this year, whatever you have for me in my life, I am yours. And you're going to find yourself in scary places like Phoebe did, like Josephine Butler did, like, every, like everybody who gives their life to Jesus does. But one thing that it says in, um, as long as I'm sinful and know that I'm sinful and I'm thankful, that Jesus died for me, and so I give my life to him, I can be brave. And if I get in situations that are scary, and I don't know what to do, and I'm scared, it says in chapter 8, does not only does Jesus forgive me, but he adopted me. I can be his kid. I get to be a kid. I'm weak, Lord. I'm weak and afraid. I followed you, and now I'm at a place that I don't know what to do, and I'm afraid. One night, Elizabeth Elliot, um, when she was living among the wild roundy people in the jungle, the, the, that man, Minkai, who had baptized Nate Saint's son, Stephen, when he was 10 in the river, they were in the, their hammocks that they slept in in the jungle. And Minkai, he said, to, he said to Elizabeth, he just started talking. He talked about why they, why they, why they killed those men. And he said, they didn't see us. We came secretly and we killed them because we didn't know. We didn't live thoughtfully then. Now we know. Now we know God and we think about him. We will not spear anymore. And later on, he said to Elizabeth, he called her Jikati. He said, Jikati? She said, uh-huh. They're talking in the night, in the jungle. And he said, you are my little sister. Are you then my older brother, she asked. Yes, I am your older brother. Your mother is my mother. I call her mother. Your father is my father. Your brothers and sisters are my brothers and sisters. Will you tell them that? Will you tell them about me? Will you tell them? that I call them my family. But I have a family and I get to be a kid 
and I get to ask my dad to help me when I followed him to a place that I'm afraid and I don't know what to do. I feel weak and dependent and I can be brave because I know he'll help me. In order to be brave, all you have to do is know you're sinful and be thankful and give your life to Jesus, the whole thing, and you'll never be afraid again. But if you get into a spot, all you have to do is be weak, to be a kid, and be dependent, and he'll help you, and you'll learn that you don't have to be afraid anymore. All you have to do to be brave is to be sinful and thankful, and weak and dependent. And I guess guys, and girls can do that equally well. <sighs> Lord God, there may be somebody in here right now who has to be brave and they know that they're gonna have to be brave. They're facing something that's scaring them and you're calling them to be brave. I just ask you, Lord, that they would give all that they have to you. Let you have it. Let you own it, their body, their life, their time, so that they don't have to be afraid of losing it. And whatever it is, knowing that they don't know what to do, that they're depending on you, and they're weak and scared, will you remind them that you're their dad? You're right there with them. They don't have to be afraid. When I'm broken down, I am sick at heart And when I'm pushed around When I'd like to restart Well, I need you I need you I need you, Jesus I need you I need you I need you, Lord Come and tell
need you, Jesus. I need you. I need you. I need you. 